Testament tabernacle had two distinct sections with two curtains covering the entrances. One curtain was called a veil, the other a screen. Both of these curtains depict the death of Christ dealing with so many negative things. Yet both curtains became the entrance for God's people. They're mysterious yet marvelous. The curtains in the tabernacle are our theme today on this life study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. We're back in the tabernacle today, and as we have seen, the tabernacle is a perfect picture of God's dwelling place with man. So it's a good place to be, and I'm not here alone. I've got Francis Ball and Dennis Agashi both with us today in the studio. Thank you, brothers, for joining us. We're really happy to be here. Likewise. Brothers, we're going to combine a couple of messages into this one program today, And a departure from our usual pattern, we don't have a tape recording on these messages of Witness Lee, uh, so that's why we've asked uh, for both of you to join us today. We feel that these messages are very rich, and they're worth spending our time on, even though we don't have uh, our brother's portion. So we will look to the Lord to make up our lack. This is our second program on the curtains that were at the two entrances of the tabernacle. One was referred to as a veil, and the other as a screen. Francis A lot can be said about the tabernacle and what it represents, but this message makes a strong point that, above all, it is a place where God's people can come into the enjoyment of God. Why do we call it a place of enjoyment? Well, it is a place of enjoyment. Of course, it's presented here as God's dwelling place. And if we realize who God is and what he is to man, to get into the place where he lives— and to live there with him is really an enjoyment. Uh, if we just see that it's a dwelling place of God, we'd have rather a superficial concept of it. So we have to go on to realize that a dwelling place is a place of enjoyment. Just for example, your own home. If that's just a dwelling place with no enjoyment, you know, this is really what causes people sometimes to just commit suicide because they feel there's nothing to live for. So uh, they don't have the enjoyment that uh, human beings need. To get into God's presence, to enjoy God, that's what's illustrated here in the tabernacle. So it's right we should call this, Chris, this should be called a place of enjoyment. And the enjoyment we have is God himself in his dwelling place. Well, Dennis, we mentioned in the introduction today that there were actually two curtains in the tabernacle, one at the entrance into the holy place, between the holy place and the outer court, and then the other separating the holy place from the holy of holies in the inner section of the tabernacle. Uh, Let me read just a couple of verses. This is verses 36 and 37 of chapter 26. And you shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet strands and fine twined linen, the work of an embroiderer. Dennis, we touched a little bit yesterday, and I'd like to come back to it, that the screen at the entrance of the holy place is related to Christ being a screen for all the negative things. But not just a screen. He's also an entrance. What does all this signify? 
Well, Chris, I think like yesterday's message, we can see that the screen really represents the perfect humanity of the Lord Jesus. All the aspects there showing us that his humanity is fine, heavenly, royal, divine, glorious. And so this matter of Christ being a screen, I don't think we've ever thought about it. Uh, I'm so happy that Brother Lee, in his expounding of the book of Exodus, has pointed this out to us to bring out the riches of Christ to see that in the New Testament, we can see whatever people the Lord touch, there was some response and there was some reaction. Either they were screened out or Christ became an entrance to them. Mm. For example, Matthew 22, uh, the Lord was dealing with the Pharisees, the Herodians, the lawyers. They're all asking him insidious questions, trying to uh, trick the Lord. Right. The Lord asked them a question, uh, which Brother Lee has called the question of questions. Uh, this question in Matthew 22 states, what do you think concerning the Christ? Whose son is he? You can see this word was really a screen to those religious ones as a negative aspect. On the other side, the Lord also in his humanity was an entrance. And one particular incident uh, that comes up to my mind is in John chapter 8 where the sinful woman was there. She was condemned by all others, but the Lord asked her another question. He asked her, has no one condemned you? So on one side, to the Herodians and to the uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, he was a screen keeping them out. On the other side, in John chapter 8, he became the entrance to this sinful woman into God himself. It's really quite marvelous. This is marvelous that... uh what can screen us out, Francis, also becomes our entrance. I really like these two passages because this shows both aspects. To be screened out, that's terrible. But to be brought in in the entrance, mm-hmm. that's marvelous. Francis, the other curtain in the tabernacle was called the veil, and uh, this appears in verses 31 and 32. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet strands and fine twined linen, and it shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. Sounds very much like the first uh, curtain only here, Francis. It's called a veil, and it separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Dennis mentioned the Gospels here uh, as a type of the screen. At the end of Matthew, we also see that Christ was a veil. This is Matthew 27, verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was split in two from top to bottom. Of course, this is right at the moment of the crucifixion. Francis, this is one of the deeper aspects of the crucifixion and maybe one that not that many have really fully entered into. Well, I'm very thankful to uh, see how we can enter in the first entrance, as uh, Dennis just pointed out. But there is a deeper thing. After a period of time, you could say, of enjoying the riches in the holy place, a believer then can begin to realize that behind the veil, there is something deeper, something richer even something higher. And he also realizes that uh, because of his fallen nature and because of the flesh, there's a separation, a veil, even that keeps him from entering into that enjoyment. So even though he's enjoyed a rich portion of the Lord, now he knows that there's something richer that he is not yet able to touch. And I believe this is something, uh, Dennis and Chris, I believe this is something that... uh, Many, many Christians have not realized 
They've been content, even though they may not describe it this way, of entering in through the screen. They've been content just to get in that far, but not realizing that there's still something blocking of getting deeper into God. And that's the veil. And that veil is really, uh, experientially, we need to enter through that veil to get into the deeper experiences of what the Spirit is working out in our lives. And uh, there is a hymn in the hymn book that really gives you the impression of what it is to get past that riven veil. The veil was riven, as you pointed out in Matthew, when Christ was crucified. But our flesh is also illustrated by this veil, and it needs to be dealt with, and it's dealt with the same way by the cross. So that hymn, in the chorus of that hymn, it says, Hallelujah, hallelujah, I have passed the riven veil. Here the glories never fail. So there's much more enjoyment and deeper enjoyment, richer enjoyment, by taking the way of the cross and dealing with the flesh and getting into the very holiest of holies where God himself is. I think the last line of that verse, if I recall, is I am living in the presence of the king. And uh, really, until we experience this tearing away of this veil, though we may experience many spiritual things and items, that's really where God's very presence resides, isn't it, within that inner veil? Yes, and that's the place of the fuller enjoyment. Well, Dennis, uh, let's look at another aspect. These two curtains in the tabernacle, both sets, were hung on pillars. Now, we've seen in many of our life studies in the past, particularly Genesis, that the pillars are very meaningful always in this context of the house of God, the building of God. I thought that I would read maybe just a few lines from the life study message that we're talking about today, since we don't have the recorded portions, then have you comment on the pillars. Okay, this is from life study number 102 in the life study of Exodus. At the end of the program, as usual, we'll talk a little bit about how our listeners can get this printed copy, the entire portion. Again, this is just a very short portion. We have pointed out again and again that the two curtains, the screen and the veil, were attached to pillars. This indicates that today, people can have an entrance into the enjoyment of God. Yes, Christ in his all-inclusive death is the entrance. Nevertheless, the entrance requires pillars to bear the testimony of the incarnated and crucified Christ. Without these pillars, there's no way for the Christ who is the entrance into the enjoyment of God to be revealed to man. It's wonderful. Dennis, where do we see an example in in the New Testament of the pillars bearing this testimony? This is marvelous, Chris, to see that the pillars are absolutely needed. You don't just have a veil or a screen hanging on nothing. The pillars represent uh, the believers today who have enjoyed Christ to a large extent. I'd like to just make a comment about this, Chris, that the main thing about the pillars is the pillars are attached to the screen and the, the veil, or the veil is attached to the pillars. This shows that we are identified with Christ. Uh, we must become attached to Christ, to be identified with Christ, to become the pillars. The pillars in the Old Testament in Exodus uh, are not just something that we can admire. 
uh, and it's something that uh, is just uh, a picture there. But the pillars really show the New Testament reality. Actually, the New Testament shows us that we can become pillars today. And I think the prime example, of course, coming back to the first question, is Christ in the Gospels. No doubt he was a pillar as an entrance for others to come in. Then, after he had died and resurrected, uh, the 120 that were gathered together, they also became the pillars for others to come into the enjoyment of Christ. Then, the 3,000 that were saved, eventually these also became pillars for people to enter. We can see that the entrance into God doesn't just come from Christ alone. Right. You need to have the pillars. There needs to be some people there representing, even identified with Christ, to be the entrance into God. I think it's very unique that Paul was probably the only one that Christ preached the gospel directly to him. After that, all of us have come to Christ through someone else who is a pillar. Just to highlight this, the set of pillars at this first screen between the outer court and the holy places really represents those in the body of Christ that have the function of an evangelist that really usher people in uh, from the outer court, from wherever, right. the hinterlands, where all of us were, right. and bring us into our first experience and enjoyment of Christ. Yet there's another set of pillars within the Holy of Holies uh, between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, I should say. And these are those ones in the body of Christ that can bring us all the way in to God's very presence. Every member is so necessary in all of these functions, but these two functions particularly, very necessary, right, Francis, in the body of Christ. That's true. You know, I, I just couldn't help but think about the pillar that brought me through the screen. Mm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> or the pillar that brought me to the screen. Right. He was he was really identified with Christ in this aspect. I I. I didn't know him too long after I became a real believer, but uh, I really am thankful for the kind of testimony he brought to me as a pillar to bring me into uh, the tabernacle, at least into the holy place. I began to enjoy the Lord somewhat then, even though I didn't know very much. I think as we talk about this, uh, everyone listening is getting the same picture of their particular pillar that helped usher them in, and uh, that's something eternal. I think that will have a place uh, in the New Jerusalem, those kind of recollections and memories. Francis, Dennis was talking about the pillars that we see in, uh, well, the Gospels and also in the Book of Acts. Probably no greater example in the New Testament of a pillar than the Apostle Paul. All of his writings really focused on this one thing, it seems, to usher us all into a deeper experience. I surely would say that uh, the epistles written by Paul all had the holy of holies as the goal. In his epistles, Paul was trying to bring God's people well, you could say either from the outer court into the holy place, but more often I would say most of his epistles are seeking to bring people into the Holy of Holies. But with Paul, there was the desire. You could take uh, the church at Corinth, for example. Uh, he was doing both there because some of these people were still in the outer court, even believers, but they were in the outer court. And uh, he was always trying to open the way for them to come in. He was a pillar in that way. But more especially, and especially with the Apostle Paul, he was a pillar that was always doing what he could to bring people to come farther into Christ, to experience the riven veil, and not just be satisfied, well, I've been forgiven of my sins, I'm, everything is okay, I'm clean, but not realizing that there's a rich enjoyment and a marvelous 
uh, experience and perfecting and maturing experience by getting into the Holy of Holies. So Paul's burden was to help people to get mature. He even labored. He struggled at this for for bringing people on into the Holy of Holies. So I, I guess there's not one of the writers that was more centered on this than the Apostle Paul. He was surely a pillar. Francis, there were two curtains, each depicting an aspect of Christ's death on the cross. In the life study message that we're talking about today, uh, Witness Lee points out that these two curtains correspond to a couple of phrases from the New Testament, though they're not exact direct quotes that I could find in any particular verse, but I think they're phrases we're all uh, used to and have heard very much. Let me utter those for you now. Christ, number one, Christ died for us, or you could say Christ died for me. And also the second phrase, Christ died for our sins or Christ died for my sins. I think most of us would think that these are, well, maybe synonymous terms, interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Is that really what we're seeing? Well, yes, it is. There's, uh, there are two aspects here, and these two terms really express it. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Christ bore our sins in his own body up on the tree. That means on the cross. He bore our sins. He died for our sins. But uh, what seems to occupy people to too much of an extent is just knowing that Christ died for our sins. That does bring you forgiveness. It cleanses you by the blood. It brings you into God's presence, but not into the richest part. He died also for us. The Apostle Paul said, Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. So we are here now uh, enjoying Christ in a fuller and richer way. Because generally, today's Christians know only the first aspect of Christ's death, that he died for our sins and they could be forgiven. They're not as familiar with the second aspect of his death, that he died for us. Why? That we may live in resurrection, in the resurrection life. Christ died for us that we could live in the resurrection life. It says also in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin, that's Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Mm. Isn't that marvelous? That's wonderful. Yes, Francis. I, I really appreciate this portion in Second Corinthians 5. And I'd like to say, make a comment here that just as Paul the Apostle focused his ministry on bringing us into the deeper, richer aspects of Christ, which uh, today we know is the Holy of Holies. This is also Brother Lee's ministry. Uh, We have all remember the ones who brought us through the screen into the holy place, but I think we all have to testify that Brother Lee, through his ministry, has brought us further into and past the second veil, into the Holy of Holies, into the very depths and the heart of God. And I think we can see from 2 Corinthians 5, this is really Paul's desire, and this is really Paul's burden, and that Brother Lee had picked this up uh, from this portion. We can see here the two veils. Uh, The first veil is in verse 19, uh, reconciling Christ, reconciled the world to himself. And as you said, Francis, that this is the ordinary, common aspect of forgiveness of sins that we are all familiar with. But 
the word goes on to say in verse 20, Paul also says, be reconciled to God. He was talking here not to the unbelievers, but to the Corinthian believers. Just as sinners needed to be reconciled, also believers need to be reconciled. And this reconciliation is through the second veil into the Holy of Holies. And Chris, I'd like to come back to this word. You know what impressed me in this verse, in verse 20, mm-hmm. Paul says that we are ambassadors. Right. This, to me, ambassadors is equal to pillars. Because here, Paul became the second type of pillar, not only bringing people from the outer court into the holy place, but as an ambassador, bringing people from the holy place into the very element and presence of God, the Holy of Holies. So the ambassadors here is almost a New Testament word for pillars in Exodus chapter 26. Well, I think uh, to conclude our program today, I'll read another short portion from this live study that maybe invites you to both comment. Uh, This also is in uh, the live study, this one, number 103, which is the the last one in volume number five uh, that we offer each day at the end of the broadcast. A short paragraph also dealing with this chapter five in 2 Corinthians. Chapter five of 2 Corinthians indicates that the believers in Corinth had not yet entered into the situation described by Paul in the foregoing chapters. This means that they had not yet come into the Holy of Holies. They were still separated from it by the second veil. Thus, they needed further reconciliation. This is the reason Paul entreated them to be reconciled to God. To be reconciled in the second aspect is to have our flesh rent. Brothers, do we really need two reconciliations? I think we could say together, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Surely we need two. One, the first reconciliation may satisfy us, but surely God's not satisfied with just being forgiving us and cleansing us, that's a wonderful thing. And without that, would be no way for us to have the second aspect. But the second aspect is really the way to make us one with God in such an experiential way that we are not just uh, cleansed people going to go somewhere when we die, but we are people who have learned to enjoy Christ to such an extent, even at the... Uh, holy place, we had a good enjoyment of Christ. But to come short of going on into the Holy of Holies is like dying too early. (laughs) We want to go on living and live in resurrection. And the way to live in resurrection is let the cross deal with our natural man, deal with our flesh, and to definitely have this second uh, aspect of reconciliation is our desire. I just ask myself, Francis, how about you? Have you really gotten into the second aspect and the cross dealt with you? Have you come through with the ribbon veil? Might ask you too, Dennis and Chris. I think we all feel that this is absolutely necessary for a Christian life to be meaningful. Otherwise, we just kind of whiling away a time, hoping to go somewhere someday. But that's not God's goal. God's goal is to make us one with Him to the most extent that we could be very the very same as he is in this life Amen. and with his nature. Dennis, you have a final thought? Yeah, I'd like to make a, this comment, what Francis said, that the the experience of being reconciled from the world to God mainly meets our needs, uh, but falls short of God's goal. We need to be reconciled to God, 
uh, to meet God's needs. God's need is that we would come all into the Holy of Holies to be identified with him, to become one with him, to be wrought with him, even that we could become his enlargement and his expression. This is really God's goal. To just stop at the first veil through the first mainly satisfies us, but to go all the way through. This is what why Paul was crying out in his epistle, be reconciled to God. He was echoing God's heart. God's desire is that man would come fully into the Holy of Holies to be what? To be infused with the very element of God. This is marvelous. Well, brothers, you two have been uh, pillars for me today. And uh, we just asked the Lord that he could use this program as a pillar to help bring all of the listeners into uh, the deepest and richest experience and appreciation of this wonderful Christ that we're so privileged to be able to right. talk about, share about, fellowship about each day. We invite you to contact us, as always, to receive the printed Life Study messages. Contact us. Our toll-free number is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or send your email to radio at lsm.org. I'm Chris Wilde, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. The focus of Living Stream is the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China in the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Witness Lee brought this ministry first to Taiwan, then later to North America and eventually to the entire world. For more than 20 years, he spoke these life study messages, unveiling how each book of the Bible shows God's eternal plan. God, through Christ, wants to dispense his life and nature into redeemed man so that man would become God's expression, enlargement, counterpart, and habitation. These studies go far beyond mere doctrine and unveil a personal, practical, and experiential Christ. In these short 26-minute programs, we summarize and condense Witness Lee's rich speaking. But to enjoy all the riches in these messages, we hope you'll visit our website at lifestudy.com. There, you can read all of the Life Study messages absolutely free of charge. You can even create your own Life Study reading schedule or download more Life Study audio programs just like this one and all at no cost. Again, the website, lifestudy.com. Thanks for listening.